Lina, at Close Factor, you're working on a GTM operating system. Let's start with the overview of what is GTM operating system and why you decided to work on this problem. Yeah, Artem, great question. Um, I'll start with the fact uh, that I've actually spent many years in go-to-market functions in B2B tech companies like Splunk, VMware, Redis, and others. and Quite frankly, we live in a different era now than the ones that they operated in. The, the problem is that many B2B companies have sales and marketing teams that are working off of different data sets and mostly being very opportunistic and wasteful in how they acquire customers. A go-to-market operating system like ClosePactor points out the exact right opportunities for both revenue and marketing teams so that they can influence these jointly. It is the platform that they both can align on. Uh, the advantage of this being they can spend less money but drive very, very efficient growth. This is a particularly relevant problem for 2023 as companies face the fact that uh, growth at all costs is no longer as attractive as they previously thought. It's now going to be all about thoughtful and efficient growth. And really, the way you're thoughtful and efficient is by being very targeted and precise about who you're going after. And that, that's what Close Factor helps with. There have been multiple attempts at solving this problem of helping go-to-market teams to be more efficient and more effective in their work. What is the Close Factor take? How does Close Factor help the teams work better? Yeah, fundamentally, there are a few things that, that we are doing differently. First is we are accessing a, uh, a lot of data sources that were previously untapped. And secondly, we are using cutting-edge machine learning to find patterns in that data, but more importantly, find the patterns that are relevant to each one of our customers. It's not a generic thing that we're doing for, every, for all customers. We're customizing and this, this is the opportunity that machine learning brings you is mass customization. We're making sure that we're finding patterns uh, that are relevant to each one of our customers. We, we find the patterns that effectively identify and research the right buyers for you. Uh, this includes who's ready to buy now, the exact people you should reach out to, and what priorities matter to them. We don't just do this account by account. We do this at scale across millions of accounts so that revenue leaders and marketing leaders can get a complete view into the key characteristics of their ideal customer profile and size up their revenue potential. This type of visibility is game-changing for go-to-market leaders because it helps them plan for an efficient growth. It gives them a full sense of what, how big is their market, how big is their market for this year, and it allows them to align their sales and marketing teams to execute together for maximum results. You mentioned that you're using data sources that were untapped before. Talk about them. What are the data sources and why it's important to use them? Yeah, it, we're, we're, using, uh, we're using data sources that are you know, publicly available. But then the most important thing that helps our customers is that we curate these data sources to be, um, to be very customized and relevant to, uh, to each, each one of our customers. 
So for example, if one of our customers is a cloud native security company, then if they were using the regular available data sets, they would look at like firmographics about how big is the company or how many employees there are. They would use some technographics that are figured out in I don't know how, what manner. Um, and uh, But what they really need is not how many employees and how much revenue these their target accounts have, but really how far along are these companies on their cloud native journey? What is the size of their security team? What type of security tools are they already using? What is the security maturity? And what is the total opportunity in terms of uh, you know, how many teams are working on this problem. We give you that level of visibility. This was this was not possible before, uh, but with the advances in in uh, in natural language processing and and you're seeing some of some of that uh, in in today's market, even at a consumer level, with the advantage uh, with the advances of natural language processing applied to these uh, business relevant data sets is is really what gives us an advantage. And uh, the way you describe it, it sounds like you almost need to tailor the, those data sets industry by industry. Is it the case? And do you consider it as an impediment or an advantage for close factor? I think you, you got this exactly right. We, we do need to tailor these data sources industry by industry. And I consider this an advantage for close factor because... At the end of the day, um, what ends up happening is close factor becomes the place where you sort of retain the brains of your organization, of your go-to-market strategy. And that domain expertise is something that cannot be easily replicated. Um, in fact, in many of our customers, you know, the, the domain expertise that resides in close factor makes it very, very easy for new reps to ramp up and execute on their sales place. So we see this as a distinct advantage that we are able to capture and codify what would be the intuition of a seasoned go-to-market person inside your company. Are there any other ways you customize a close factor to the company or the industry they work in? Um, we actually spend a lot of time understanding the uh, their go-to-market and understanding sort of the sales place that they're already implementing. We also work with them to identify, you know, any hypotheses that they, that they might have. For example, they may be going after a new market. They may want to know how big is this new market? That is it is it applicable enough if I target a certain type of persona? Like is that is that a big enough market for me? We have the data at our fingertips and the customization that we can do to help them validate these hypotheses also. You also talk about customizing the system by codifying intuitions of the most strategic thinkers. Can you elaborate on that one? Yeah, I mean, this is this is a problem that has plagued sales teams for 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 many many years. It's that some of the reps in the company they know exactly what to do. They're seasoned enough. They know what what works, what doesn't. Uh, they know where to look for information, how to engage with their buyers, and many of the others they don't. They don't, and we we started Close Factor basically to address this problem. We wanted to augment all of the 
team members inside a company with the intuition of sort of the senior salesperson or the senior product marketing person so that even new people could execute as efficiently as as sort of your senior reps. We see sort of the biggest potential for machine learning to be in human augmentation, meaning serve up the exact right information that a human needs so that they can um, chase many more deals at the same time. They can spend their time engaging with the customer rather than researching the opportunity. We do all the grunt work for them. But and we do all the right grunt work for them that helps them be that much more um, effective. And that makes them, especially those newcomers, it makes the ramp times times shorter, and it makes them more efficient, faster. Yeah, that sounds interesting. In terms of the user experience of using the system. What should I, how should I imagine it? Or how should I think about me as a user starting using the system? What will I be interacting with? What I'll be seeing, what I'll be reacting to? Um, that's, that's a great question. Uh, and we have uh, two or three different classes of users. One is the actual AE or the, uh, or the sales rep that's, uh, that's doing inbound, outbound uh, type of, uh, engagement with the customer. The second is um, sort of a territory manager or a sales manager uh, that that's managing a team. And the third one is sort of the marketing leader, the rev ops leader that's that's looking at the biggest picture. So I'll start with sort of the experience for the account rep or for the BDR that's that's chasing after a set of accounts. Um, what they what they are when they're engaging with the account and I'll take the example of a really large account um they may be looking for what are the buyer groups inside this large account that I can go after and I can engage with and uh what what we surface up for them is sort of the uh, already pre-qualified opportunities so we find out the projects and initiatives inside every account that are relevant to their sales place. So for example, in, in my previous example, I said cloud native security company, a relevant project for such a company might be a cloud migration or a migration to Kubernetes. We surface up that exact project or initiative going on inside the company and the people inside the company that match your buyer persona so that the sales rep can start engaging all these people in the context of this project. The reason is when you're when you're when you're talking to customers in a B2B setting, it's important to be aligned with them. It's important to be very custom to their concerns. That helps you because it sets you apart from everybody else in the market who's being very generic. Um, so what we do is we surface up these pre-qualified opportunities and you would then start engaging with with the exact people identified with the context that we've identified for you. Now, if you were if you were to step back and put yourself in the shoes of like someone who's in charge of many accounts, uh, like a territory manager or a sales manager who has a team, what we surface up to you is where is all the opportunity in your territory? If you have a set of a few hundred accounts or a few thousand accounts and you don't know which are the ones where you should put all your energy behind, we show you, we point out to you which are the companies that have the exact opportunities that you're going after. So once again, if you step back into the, I'm uh, I'm in a cloud native security company and 
uh, I'm I'm looking for companies at a certain level of secure uh, security maturity across a set of accounts. We will show you, you know, who has the right level of maturity, what types of tools they're using, how big are their developer teams or their security teams, uh, what are they investing in, what types of projects are going on, so that you can already decide which accounts are ones where where you can you know spend your time and effort chasing. If you step back even more, let's say you're the CMO or CRO, um, the type of view that we offer to you is um, we take a look at your closed ones or your late stage opportunities and figure out what makes these thing what makes these opportunities special. Is there a certain type of maturity that the companies have? Is there certain size teams that they have? Uh, are they are they are they for example, doing CICD or are they investing in DevSecOps, which makes them special? And then what we do is we segment the universe of accounts into the ones that are most relevant to you. And by doing that, we help you sort of, you know, carve out the right size territories, plan for an efficient growth, uh, plan for efficient staffing of these territories. So you know exactly how much potential you have and how to uh, how to uh, plan for it uh, effectively. If you're the marketing person, we also give you the right personas so that you can be very, very precise in how you warm up these personas, uh, how you position yourself to these personas so that when your sales teams call, they already know who you are. I hope that explains sort of the user experience for the different groups of people that use Cruise Factor. It does. It sounds to me like an X-ray for your accounts you start immediately seeing uh, the things you need to see and that you were not able to see before. And you covered quite a bit of roles within the company. So close factor becomes a real backbone for the go-to-market teams to do their work, which is awesome. Talk about some of the case studies, some of your favorite case studies of applying those factor and also how do you measure the success of implementation great questions i mean the most immediate measure of success for close factor implementation is one is faster ramp times for reps greater number of meetings booked greater higher a higher amount of pipeline and greater opportunities converted to closed ones uh, we did this measurement at some of our customers. For example, at LaunchDarkly, we saw that the reps that were using Close Factor were more than twice as productive in terms of monthly ARR generated as compared to reps that weren't using Close Factor. Uh, at Chronosphere, as another example, we we segmented the universe of accounts based on very custom buying indicators to Chronosphere, and the net result that they saw was. 90% of their closed ones, and Chronosphere has been going very fast, 90% of their closed ones were correlated with accounts that we had marked as A accounts. So, so these are sort of some of the results that we're seeing from some of our customers. We also hear them making very strategic decisions like, should we go after expansions or new logos? How big is the market for a new product? And then planning their staffing and territories and account strategy with our help. This is impressive. These are impressive numbers for sure. 2x boost in productivity in IRR is 
extremely rare to come by, I think. And in terms of you helping companies plan uh, their go-to-market, the new product launches, does it involve lots of your, say, consulting services? Or is system takes the heavy lifting and let them do it themselves? That That's a great question. The system, I would say, does some of the heavy lifting. Uh, we extract things from our customers' websites, so we have a pretty good sense of what their sales place could be. However, we do need like maybe half an hour with like a product marketing person or a sales leader inside the company to sort of tune us uh, to be headed in the right direction. And the reason for this is sometimes the sales place that you execute on and what shows up on your marketing website could be slightly different. That that happens to many people. Uh, so so we we do we do work with our customers very closely to make sure that the tuning is 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 to the exact sales place that they want their reps to be executing on. And that's I think uh, what you also alluded to in general when we talk about implementing AI systems at the organizations, the importance of uh, fine-tuning it after you install it. Can you talk more about that? Yeah, I mean, the language understanding is what the, what the AI models give you as a gift, uh, but the business understanding is what your company and your uh, strategic thinking uh, adds. Uh, you know, to the to the to the recipe to make it to make it a success. So um, I would say that we we can take a pretty good first pass at any company's sales place just just given our technology. However, the engagement from the customer is really what makes it special. Uh, the the tuning is is what helps it us be more effective. Uh, and this I can say generally for AI applied to business scenarios. Is that the uh, from a business perspective, the investment must be made in making sure that the AI is responding with things that are interesting and relevant to you. Uh, if if you do that, if you spend your time investing in that way, then the returns are amazing. The returns are amazing. It's way better to record, you know, sort of your sales place in the in the machine. Uh, rather than it is in like very brittle ways like documents and Excel spreadsheets and things that are not referred to or not kept up to date. It's way better to have the AI recording the intuition of your senior rep uh, rather than than have it be dispersed in many, many, many different places. And for close factor, you said that it's important to fine-tune the systems. So we already set up the system, we're using it, we're happy with it. Now, how often will we revisit the customer to improve the system, to fine-tune the system? That's a great question, and it changes from customer to customer. It's often dependent on your sales cycle, the input you're getting from the market, how tuned, how in tune you are with, with what's going on uh, in terms of deal progression. In some of our customers, we'll see them every quarter reevaluating what their sales plays are uh, reevaluate how successful some of them have been versus not successful others have been and they may uh, they may want to sort of 
rejigger um, what close factor shows them based on based on that reevaluation. Uh, some other customers we get real time feedback. Uh, we get feedback every month saying, you know, um, this set of indicators working really good. We were able to generate this type of pipeline with way less money spent. Um, and now we're going after this other thing. So please give us a new indicator that that helps us with that. So um, we are an early stage company where we just got our series A and we love this type of interaction with our customer. We have many of them on our Slack channels. They can access us anytime. Uh, and we love the ongoing dialogue because it tells us that they're engaging with our product. They're seeing value from our product and uh, and that they that they want more. And uh, this is definitely the GTM is probably one of the most dynamic organizations within the company. And it would be very unusual to have the system set up and leave it as is for long times and not to reflect the changes in the GTM organization. Yeah, exactly. So that makes perfect sense. Your personal experience, I wonder, as a GTM leader, we talked here about the X-ray vision into the customer base. And there are two things, I think, lots of GTM, especially the sales uh, representatives, the, the ones who are just starting, they kind of struggle with the idea of what should we focus on? The personalization in terms of uh, properly personalizing the message to the uh, potential customer versus identifying the right customers uh, that currently need your product. So how did you think about it? How did your thinking on that change over time? And uh, what's your current take? That That's a great question. I mean, this is, this is the classic, like, should I just go after everybody who might need my products and just pray and pray? Or should I engage with the ones that are most likely to buy? And should I do it at a deeper level? Um, and I would say that there are no right or wrong answers, but for a sales rep, there are not that many selling days in the year, to be, re to be really honest. Um, there are a ton of opportunities that they can go after. Making sure that you're going after the best possible ones just maximizes your chances of success. So um, my advice to sales reps is use all the, all the tools at your disposal, particularly the ones that give you sort of the opportunities surfaced up on a platter. Because if you're chasing after more right opportunities, that's way better than the spray and pray and just hope that the people coming in and expressing interest are going to turn out to be good fits. Yeah, and that makes sense to me as well. It's just from my personal days of selling, I remember vividly, how different the conversations go with the customers who are really not into your product for multiple reasons that have nothing to do with the quality of the product or your, yourself. It's just not the right time for them. And the customers who mm -hmm. are actually uh, on their journey to discover this product. And uh, this, of course, changes everything. So being able to identify those customers easily is a huge boost to productivity of any sales rep. Let's talk a little bit about your personal journey. What became the trigger for you to start the company? How did it all come together? 
so uh, as i mentioned before i was i was at a number of uh, enterprise uh, software companies like vmware splunk redis and particularly at splunk i was uh, i joined the team when there were about 75 and we were pivoting from being a log management provider to a broader operational intelligence play and a lot of the success we achieved in the pivot was mostly sales discipline go to market discipline really in making sure whenever we were talking to customers we were in the context of their business priorities finding the funded projects inside the company attaching yourself to the right buyers champions influencer personas and so fast forward uh, i was working at this advanced ai company called petchum running uh, inside sales sales ops and marketing for them uh, and i felt like uh, i could see sort of the best in machine learning talent on the one hand and on the other hand as a gold market leader i was still doing all my work manually uh, everything that i saw on the market was this was this giant data set they were like well you know you come and you search for the things that may be relevant for you and some of it may be outdated but that's your problem and they were just missing the opportunity to be customized at scale which is the opportunity that machine learning gives gives you uh, and I felt this pain. Uh, I was talking to Ben Chang, uh, who was my former colleague from VMware. He had he had done a machine learning startup before, and he also was seeing a big shift in the way uh, the model capabilities were improving. Um, and we uh, we we were we talked to something like thirty to forty sales reps before we even started the company. Uh, and the real trigger came when we were pitching to a prospect, and she was like. Well, I have a sales kickoff coming up in a month, and I want whatever you're building now to be available for all of my reps because I think this will supercharge their productivity. Uh, and at that time, we we called on Eric, uh, who who Ben knew from his uh, Microsoft days. Uh, Eric is the uh, was the head of machine learning for Talent Solutions at LinkedIn, and he has tackled this time type of problem before. We were like, Eric, we really need to start. you already have a customer and this would be a great time for you to come on board and so so that's how the founding team came together we sort of had the paying customer even before before uh, uh you know a lot of the product was built and then the fundraising once you have customer interest once you have a lot of demand for the product once you once you once you're solving problems that that are huge pain points for people really the fundraising just comes naturally after that that first paying customer before you had any product just a result of the conversations with those sales reps what was the thing that triggered them why did they agree it's unusual and i think lots of people starting their entrepreneurial journey would love to understand the recipe how to make a customer that that didn't see your product yet and cannot see it because it's not there yet to commit i would say the the first customer that any startup would or should find is the one that has the pain that the product is is it really all starts with with the customer's pain and the pain in the case of our customer was the fact that they were scaling they had found product market fit they knew they had a market they were hiring a ton of reps they were scaling how they were going to market but they had no good way to make sure all of these reps were pointed in the right direction 
at the right accounts, at the right customers to maximize their own productivity. So that that was sort of the pain and it still holds true today, which is if if you if you found product market fit, if you want to scale your go-to-market and you want your reps to be spending their time on all the right opportunities, those factors still sort of the best solution on the market to do that. But generically, if you were to think about like how should a how should a startup that's just starting out find the right customers? It's really by listening very, very clearly for the pain. What is the what is the problem, the business problem that a customer is facing? Um, that that's really that that's really the biggest indicator of you picking the right product to build. This is a very successful, I think, way to go about starting a company and. You also raised a seed round from Sequoia Capital. I think for lots of people, that would also sound like a great achievement. I wonder what parts of the fundraising were easier than you thought they would be and which parts were harder? Uh, <laughs> that's, a, that's a good question. Uh, fundraising is not easy. Uh, and particularly in this market, it is definitely not easy. The part of the fundraising that was easier than I thought was really to to get the reference customers. So what's important really in raising funds is making sure that the product you're building addresses a pain point that the customers, that your early customers are able to articulate that pain point and attach a value to it. And that, that was critical. If you find the right pain point, your customers are attaching value to that pain point, that becomes that becomes a huge endorsement by itself. Um, the things that were hardest about fundraising is, uh, and any entrepreneur will tell you this, it's it's the nose, right? Like if it's in the sales, there is a sales process. Uh, if you're selling, you already know this, uh, you know, 70% of the time you will be rejected. That percentage is much higher when you're fundraising. So uh, you just have to, you just have to keep going at it to find the investors that will be uh, partners with you on your journey, that believe in the mission of the company, uh, that believe in the customer's pain points, uh, and who are who are there to help you. You also just announced that you closed the Series A with Verdex and Sequoia. It's a $20 million Series A. Congratulations on that. And the question, how different was it uh, raising this round versus the seed round? Um, I, I would say that there's a difference of scale. Uh, and uh, in, in the smaller sort of seed rounds, the number of investors you, you talk to are fewer. Uh, the number of investors who participate in the round are also fewer. Um, and you have to pick correctly. In the as as the round gets bigger, so the Series A round is is fifteen million. Uh, you have a lot many more investors participating, a lot many more conversations to have, and uh, it, it's the scale. Uh, the scale keeps increasing. I see. Do you need to apply some technology to it, or is it done on a pen and paper spreadsheet basis? 
that's a great question. I mean, if I could, I would use close factor for also in, uh, hunting for the right investors. Uh, I could not take the team's time away from from the customers, and that's why it it ended up being the pen and paper way. Uh, but yes, I could see me using my own product for this as well. I think this is a something that is like a paradox when so many great teams build so much of a technology, but the fundraising is never touched by that technology, or at least very rarely touched uh, by that technology, uh, because each and every team considered that's not not a important enough piece of the equation to dedicate their time to that. And then we have, yeah, we have multiple great tech products for other areas, but this one stays almost like it were centuries ago, maybe, <laughs> with little change. Uh, yes, and uh, and that come that brings you back to what entrepreneurs do best, which is you know focus, focus on the customer's problem, and everything else is a distraction. That's so true. Hundred percent agree with that. Anything you can do to improve your customer situation, do it. Let's talk about the people. What kind of team you build at Close Factor? What kind of people you looked for at the beginning and how it changed over time? What sort of qualities uh, you're looking for right now? And overall, what kind of culture you're building at the company? Um, great questions. And, and to be honest, I still see Close Factor as being at the beginning, to be quite honest. And, and as, as a startup, startups are a different beast compared to large companies. Uh, the best people for a startup are those that can take uncertain and ambiguous signals and figure out what makes sense in the context of the business, the user, the buyer. There's a lot of learning that's going on very, very quickly. Uh, the team at Close Factor learns, has learned, and continues to learn many, many different skills every single day. And in the face of all the ambiguity, still makes the right decisions. People who join startups like this have a personal motivation to solve difficult problems and bring something new of value to the customer. They are excited by the journey, the growth, the wins, and in the failures, they can only find learning. And that, that's really the attitude that we look for. People who have the grit, who will hang in there, who will patiently listen to the customer, all their problems, and figure out ways to solve them. Yeah, these are people, there is a group of people, I think there is a type of people who are excited to, and who strive in uh, the environment of growth and uncertainty and when you need to figure out things. How do you probe, how do you identify if the people are the right fit for the company or maybe the company is not the right fit for them? That's a, that's a great question. It's a million-dollar question. Um, you know, in the initial days, what we used to do was uh, we had new team members talk to almost everybody in the startup, but of course, this slows you down. Um, today, we rely on sort of the key people who will be working with, with the new members 
and uh, on a couple of our advisors to help us to help guide us on sort of finding the right people with the right amount of grit right amount of expertise that have the um that have the functional skills to deliver on the job and they have the uh, broad enough mind to tackle sort of new areas that they haven't looked at before uh, so these these are these are things we as founders figured out our current team members are really really excellent at figuring out through their questions many of the people who are part of close packer are simply part of our network and we've worked with them before so we kind of know them um so those are the things really <laughs> every startup has to figure it out on their own that's true and uh for in many cases just being transparent about the challenges to the people who you're hiring helps they kind of self select uh and uh yeah i agree with you that as a as founders it's probably also relying heavily on your intuition about people and uh, you can train yourself to identify uh that if the person will be the right fit down the road by just having a lot of interviews a lot of conversations and frankly a few cases where you had to part ways with people which learns which teaches you how to select them better speaking about you personally i wonder uh becoming the founder of a company how did it change you personally i would say it built in me sort of more of resilience uh the reason people do startups is because that's the best thing they can think of doing and uh, quite frankly it it has helped me become uh more focused more resilient and more grateful really for all the help that uh, that i've gotten along the journey it, it's not a solo effort it's not a founder only effort it's the team it's the customers the people you partner with as investors they all make a difference it's like building a huge new village for our last question talk about your long term vision for close factor what do you want the company to become in the future and how maybe the future will look different from now if and when you succeed our vision is to become the go to market operating system for every b2b company at the moment we have started with uh, technology companies that's our bread and butter but we see ourselves expanding to other domains outside of technology every b2b company really can uh, can use close factor and we we plan to become the platform the operating system for revenue teams across the board uh, where people can learn more about you the company the team where they can follow you on social media yeah i mean uh, our website is uh, www.closefactor.com you can also find us on linkedin and twitter and those are really the best places uh, my email is lena@closefactor.com so you can reach out to me that way too we will add all those links to the show notes and you also hiring so we'll mention that in the show notes as well so people can go and check out all the positions you have there awesome i look forward to hearing from your listeners on all the topics that we talked about and also if they're interested in joining close factor that'd be lovely excellent thanks a lot lena it was a great pleasure to talk to you
Same. Thank you.